And it's going to be in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2 this morning is where we will be. And it's here we'll read yet again of the birth of our Savior. And I don't know about you, but I am certainly glad that our Savior came to us. So thankful. When we could not go to Him, He came to us and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cruel cross of Calvary, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later rose again from the grave to give us life and to give us life eternal. I'm thankful our Savior came to us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I'm thankful we have a Savior that came to us. In Luke chapter 2, we'll read that in just a moment. And uh, as you find your place there, you probably already know this is one of the most familiar passages of Scripture that uh, surround the birth of, of our Savior. And uh, because it's there, this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2 is commonly referred to as the Christmas story. And uh, for good reason, all right, but, uh, but many people read this this portion of Scripture the night before on Christmas Eve, they'll read that, uh, read this portion of Scripture, and we do that same thing at our house, read it to our kids. And I try to make an emphasis with our children, listen, this is not just a um, story, it's not just any old story you'd read from a book. No, this is, this is history. This is an actual historical event that really happened many, many, many years, many years ago, of the birth of our Savior. But uh, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't let familiarity of the portion of Scripture I'm going to read, don't let familiarity breed boredom. Please don't let that happen. Even when you read other portions of Scripture in your daily reading or whatever, you come to it and say, yeah, I've read that before. Uh, Yeah, I've read that many times over. Well, that's fantastic. But don't let it just be familiar. Rather, let it be fresh again. Uh, Let the truth of the Word of God be fresh. Come to it with fresh eyes, fresh perspective, fresh excitement, fresh enthusiasm. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Pardon the cliche phrase, but don't lose the wonder of it all. That a Savior came for you and for me. Don't lose the wonder. Come to it with fresh excitement, fresh enthusiasm here in this portion of Scripture. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to, uh, well, let's just read all 20 verses surrounding it, all right? No time is ever wasted reading the Word of God. So let's look at it together. Verse number 1, Luke 2, verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And his taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all, uh, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city, pretty much where they were born, all right? Verse number four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Amen. 
For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things. And pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard. And seen as it was told unto them. Our Father, I pray as we dive into the word of God, as we read it, as we preach it, I pray that you'd help us come to it with fresh eyes, fresh enthusiasm, excitement once again. And to know and let this truth ignite a spark of excitement in our hearts. To know that unto us a son is given unto us a Savior is born. We want, to thank, we want to say thank you for so great a salvation through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us never forget that and never lose the wonder of it all that a holy God would want wretched sinners like us. So in this moment, we humbly bow to simply say thank you. Thank you for being our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this event of our Savior's birth here, and it's a very familiar portion of Scripture, I really am amazed at the, uh, uh, at the detail of the hand of God in every situation that surrounded the birth of our Savior. God had His hand in every detail. Please, don't, don't forget that. But you can see the very hand of God in the detail of even this man, Caesar Augustus, the ruler at the time. Now, pastor, you saying that this man was a godly man and God had his hand in that detail of his life? Well, I'm not saying he was a godly man. Many, many of the rulers at this time were very wicked individuals. But when I see this in this moment, I do see the hand of God in this detail of this ruler. You see, at this moment, Caesar put out an edict that uh, everyone had to go to their own hometown, their own home country. And maybe he thought he was in charge. But listen, it wasn't the Caesar or the king or whoever is in charge this moment. No, no. God was in charge at this moment. Never forget that God rules and overrules. He has not surrendered his authority to any man. He is still in charge. Never forget that. But you can see in the detail of this, even this moment, that God hand, God's hand was in it. Because the Lord used this edict here to move Mary and Joseph some 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Do you know why? To fulfill Scripture. Caesar thought it was for, to pay taxes. I guess ain't much change in 2,000 years, but anyway. But he wanted taxes, but God was going to fulfill his word. You see, the Bible says this in Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is, be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You see, a Savior was to be born out of this town in Bethlehem. That's why 
this edict was made, not to collect taxes, but that the Savior be moved from Nazareth back to Bethlehem to be born there. So no, this seizure, he might have thought he was in control, but he wasn't. No, no, God's hand was in every detail. You can see the hand of God in a detail, even with the angels that appeared to the shepherds in this text. I mean, try to imagine with me, if you will, for a moment, uh, being one of these guys when you are simply going about your business of tending to your flock of sheep. You're taking care of the sheep at night. Maybe you are even dozing off a little bit. I mean, it is dark and it is late and you are tired. And you start dozing off a little bit. Then the Bible says, suddenly... When out of nowhere, when they least expected it, the Bible says the angel of the Lord came upon them and made an exclamation that no doubt resounded in their hearts and gave them such excitement and amazement at the same time when he says this. The angel said, for unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That news that came to their ears would have been some of the best news they'd heard in their entire life because finally the long-awaited Messiah has come. Finally the King is here. Finally the Lord has come. The King, their Savior, the Lord, He has come. But not just for the priests and the religious leaders of the day. Not just for the kings and rulers of the day. Not just for the religious people and rich people. But rather he came to the shepherds and said, for unto you. The shepherds who were considered the lowest of class of people, who were considered very dirty people, who even were hated by many people. He said, for all people, even you, shepherds, this Savior is born for you, for all men. I reminded a portion of scripture in 1 Timothy 4.10 where he's the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Folks, I'm thankful we have a Savior. And this news came to the ears of these shepherds and no doubt they were so excited and they, they wondered at this, at this uh, statement from the angel of the Lord. And the Bible says this, that they made haste, meaning they ran very fast, all right? They ran as fast as they possibly could to go see the king, to go see the Messiah, to get to Jesus. They made haste. They were eager to see the Savior. They were eager to be in the presence of of Jesus. And really we can learn a lesson. This is not the message for today. We can learn a lesson from these shepherds and their eagerness to get in the presence of Jesus. Can we not? Eager to be in the presence of God. Eager to be with, with the Lord. What a lesson we truly could learn in this, in this moment. But they made haste. They made haste to see Jesus in this moment because of things that they heard from the angels. It's amazing. Amazing, the detail the, that God placed in this, in this the surrounding the birth of our Savior is just so amazing. Really, it is. It really is. And as we read this event and uh, think about all that's going on, amazing part to see, amazing part to hear, every bit of this has been amazing. And many did get to see it. I'm reminded of this event and surrounding this event, there were some who didn't. There were some who missed out. There were some who did not get to see the Lord Jesus, even though, listen, they had opportunity to. They had the opportunity to come and see Jesus, but they missed out. They missed out on Christ that first Christmas, Christmas season. And folks, I want to say something from the very beginning. Don't miss him this Christmas. Don't miss the Christ of Christmas. Don't miss him. 
Because understand, there are people that I have over the years, and even in that first year, people miss them. But people get so caught up in the midst of the lights and the festivities and the gifts and the family get-togethers and the friend get-togethers and all of these things that happen, they miss the real reason for the season. Again, sorry for the cliche, but it's true, all right? They miss it. But please don't miss him. Just as many missed him that first Christmas year. Look at it with me. Look again at verse number, verse number 7. Verse number 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. People missed it because they had no room for Jesus. Now, when it says inn here, it's not talking about a holiday inn or a comfort inn or a day's inn or a night's inn or you say, preacher, I wouldn't go to any of those places anyway. I understand, all right? But uh, if you ever want to know a safe place and a clean place to sleep and stay, call the cops. They'll tell you where to go, all right? Anyway, but, uh, but it's not talking about a hotel or a motel when it talks about the inn here. Rather, when it says inn, it's referring more to a guest room. For it was very common practice for many of the homes uh, during the first century to have a guest room, to have a uh, attached room. It would be like today would have an attached um, room or attached garage kind of thing, you know, but it would be a room instead of a garage for your car, it would be a room for people. Uh, but it was very common practice during this time. You can even go to the Old Testament and see that practice was initiated there. You can find where Elijah, as he passed by a house that uh, this lady and her husband's house many times, uh, they said this in 2 Kings 4, verse 9 and 10. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man, a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a, here it is, little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Again, attached room. On the wall. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us that he shall turn in Thither. You can find an attached room on many of the dwelling places during that time. You can go to the New Testament and find the same thing. For if you remember when Jesus uh, was going to have the Last Supper with his disciples, what did he ask for? He said, go find the upper room, right? The Bible says this in Luke 22, verse 11 through 13. And he shall say unto the goodman of the house, the master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went, found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So this was a common practice to have an inn or have a guest chamber, have a guest room for people as they traveled by, as they came back to town kind of thing. So try to picture that in your mind as you read verse number 7 when it says there was no room in the inn. That it's not an inn as in a hotel, but as an inn as in a guest room, a garage apartment, a mother-in-law suite. Sorry, men, did not mean to use those words in church, but anyway. But try to picture in your mind something like, like that, all right? That's what this inn was. So, as Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem, because, again, of the edict of Caesar, because of the census... What did they come looking for? They came looking for a room. But they could not find a room. And as they came looking for a room, they wouldn't come looking for a room necessarily in strangers' houses. Rather, they would first come to family. They would come to family asking for a spare room or a guest room. They'd say, hey, Uncle Eddie, do you have that spare room that we could crash for a couple of days during the census? 
Or Aunt Sue, do you have that upper room we could borrow for the census this year? Or even your crazy cousin Bubba who just got out of prison. You go to his house and even ask him, do you have a spare room? We'll even crash at your place. They were getting desperate, you know. And no, they didn't have a cousin Bubba. I'm making all this stuff up, all right? I'm just trying to picture in your mind, okay? But just picture going to family house after family's house, looking for a spare room, but every answer they got when they knocked on the door, hey, do you have any space? The answer was, no, I'm sorry. There's no room. I don't have a free space. I don't have a free bed. I don't have a free room. I'm sorry. There's just no room. And with each no, and with each no room, and with each denial of space, please know something. Those people that said no missed out on Christ of Christmas. They missed out on the Lord Jesus Christ that first Christmas season. But I had to look at this and thank even to myself as I, as I ponder over this uh, no room in the end type of uh, thing here. I had to question why. Why did they miss out on that first Christmas season? Well, let's consider a couple of uh, considerations. And the first one I would like for us to consider is this. Number one, they missed out on him because, number one, they were not looking for him. They were not looking for him. And you say, well, what do you mean by this? Well, they're not looking for him. Meaning this, our Bibles, you know this, but our Bibles are made up of two divisions. The Old Testament and the... Good job, class. All right. Old Testament and New Testament. And the Old Testament was written before Jesus came to earth, and the New Testament was written after Jesus went back to heaven. But in the Old Testament, there are many prophecies given. I believe uh, uh, it's over 300, so we'll just be conservative and say 300 prophecies, all right? But uh, 300, over 300 prophecies, and the majority of those prophecies in the Old Testament were given concerning primarily the birth, life, death, and resurrection of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the majority of the prophecies were given concerning the Lord Jesus over one man. And mathematically speaking, if you were to uh, look at this mathematically speaking, some of the mathematicians know I'm not one of them, uh, but some of them did the, did the math on this. And to fulfill over 300 prophecies is astronomical. But they did it this way. They kind of broke it down. They said uh, for one person to fulfill eight prophecies, that would be a one and one to the 17th power, 17 zeros, chance of happening. Um, that's a lot. All right. That's a kajillion or something, kajillion, bazillion, whatever. One and a kajillion, bazillion. And then he says, for one person to fulfill 48 prophecies, there is a 1 in 10 to the 157th power of a chance that could happen. I don't think your, cal- your ca- calculator on your phone is going to uh, come up with that one, okay? But then it says this, one person fulfilling 300 prophecies. Listen, only God can do that. But that's exactly what's happening. A prophecy was being fulfilled. And so the detail, these prophecies being fulfilled from the Old Testament in the New Testament to a T is another wonderful mark of our Bible that it is the inspired word of God. Because only a God could foreknow and accomplish all that was written by himself and for himself. And the historical accuracy and reliability of the Bible sets the Bible apart from any other book in the whole world on record. Please know that. And please know, you can trust your Bible. You can. And so it was the Old Testament that many people during this time would have had. 
they would have access to it. A Jew and Gentile alike. Because even the, uh, the Gentile, the, uh, oh man, it was the eunuch, right? Uh, the eunuch from Ethiopia came to Jerusalem and he came, as he going back to Ethiopia, he was carrying with him a portion of Jeremiah. Listen, they had access to the Old Testament. And so since they had access to the Old Testament, that means they had access to the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Uh, they would have been taught that Messiah would come and how he would come and where he would come. Uh, again, they would know about the portion of Scripture. read it uh, earlier, but I'll read it again. Micah 5, 2. They wouldn't have known this. But thou, Bethlehem, though there be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel. Uh, they would have known that. And by the way, where is that being fulfilled? Right here in Luke chapter number 2. They would have known of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel. Listen, people, even family of Mary, surely they have known for some time that she was with child. They at least have, have to have known for at least, I don't know, nine months that she was with child. And she was a virgin. They would have known. And it's being fulfilled right before their very eyes. Again, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Again, all being fulfilled here in Luke chapter 2. So please know this Christmas story here was hundreds of years old, but nothing short of amazing. It came, came to pass right before their very eyes. I was reminded of this verse in Psalm 118, verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. It's amazing to think that all this come to pass in one night. It has to be the Lord. But understand, these folks, they had access to the Scriptures and could see them come alive before their very eyes. And they should have seen it. They should have seen the significance of what was going on, what was going on here. But, but they missed it. They missed it. Because they were not looking for the Messiah to come then. They were not looking for the Messiah to come in their lifetime. Surely he'll come sometime, but not today. Not today. Not in my lifetime. He'll come maybe in my grandkids' lifetime or that and the other. Not in mine. They weren't looking. And some may say, well, well preacher, don't you think you're, you're digging a little deep there? Maybe you're uh, being a little harsh on these people. Well, maybe... But understand this, there were people who were looking. If you read on, further on in, in, in Luke, you'll read of, uh, of the man Simeon, who was looking for the consolation of Israel, the salvation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. He was looking. There were some who were looking. You read on too and see Anna, her, she, she as well was looking. There were people who were looking for the Lord to come in their lifetime. So that tells me that everybody should have been looking, but some were not. Some were looking, some were not. Majority were not looking for, for him. And I'm reminded as these individuals, some were looking, some were not. I'm reminded just as Jesus came that first time, I'm reminded he will come again the second time. But are you looking? Are you looking for him to come? It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next month. It could be in a hundred years. But He is coming. And are you looking for Him to come? Because just as it was a promise in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to come the first time, it's a promise in the New Testament that He's going to come a second time. 
Let me read a couple to you real quick. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Bible says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and a dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. 1 John 2, 28. Now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Revelation 1, 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come. The Almighty. Just as He came the first time, He is going to come again. But are you looking for Him? You see, folks missed Him that first Christmas season because they weren't looking. They weren't looking. Are you looking? Number two, why did they miss Him? Well, number two, because they missed Him because they had no room for Him. Now, we've already kind of hit on this a little bit, so I won't stay on this point very long, all right? And uh, so, but people had no room for Jesus. And that's how they missed out. But listen, if I knew, and maybe you're, you're on the same lines with me on this, but let's say if we knew that we had family coming to town and needed a place to stay, if I knew that at least, I'm going to try my dead level best. I really am. I'm going to try very hard to find them somewhere else to stay than my house. See, no, I got to quit doing it. I'm sorry. No, I would try to help them if I could. Make room. Make room for them to have a warm place to sleep, a warm room to be in, stay. I'm going to try very hard to make room, to make room for them, especially if, if uh, Cousin Mary was great with child, you know. We try to make room. But listen, these individuals here, the family here they came to, they didn't make any room. They didn't make any room for Jesus. And quick question this morning. Do you have room for Jesus? Do you have room in your life for the Lord? And I'm not talking about when it's only convenient. <laughs> I'm not talking about just a seasonal thing. I'm talking about daily. Is there room for the Lord in your life? Is there room for Jesus in your home? Is there room for Jesus in your heart? Is there room for Jesus in your marriage? Is there room for Jesus at your job? Is there room for Jesus in the life of your children? We make so much room for other things. How about we start making some room for Jesus in their life? Amen. All right, thank you. Let's make room for them. Is there any room for Jesus? If not, why not? And if not, has that made your life any better? Or has it made it worse? I would dare say if you've not made room for Jesus, it's made your life worse. It's made your life worse. Some folks, as I try to help them through, throughout the years, and, and they, they've come for counsel whatnot, and uh, going through one of those difficult times or, you know, one of those moments where it's like, 
Um, I just don't know how I ended up here, preacher, kind of thing. Well, could it be? General answer is just haven't made room for Jesus in your everyday life. Is there room for Jesus in your life? Is there room? Listen, these individuals here in Luke 2 missed him. Some of them did. Because they weren't looking for him and they making room for him. And lastly and quickly, they missed out on Jesus because, listen, I can imagine they were just too busy. <laughs> they were just too busy. You see, at this moment, there in the Roman census, as all the world, the Bible says in verse 1, was to be taxed, and all the world there is not all the geographical world, but rather the Roman world, all right? All the world to be taxed at that moment. I can imagine as people were coming back to their hometown, or going back to the homestead, so to speak, all right? As they're going back home, I could imagine the busy, busyness of it all. As folks coming, coming back to the homestead. I mean, some of us would really enjoy a family coming, coming back home. I mean, who here would say that's a blessing? Amen. Who here would say that's a nightmare? Amen. All right, no. Uh, but the, just imagine all your family, all. If you live in Fletcher, all your family from all over the United States coming back to Fletcher for the census so they can pay their taxes. <laughs> What a blessing, <laughs> having all the family. Amen, what a blessing. You know? But I can imagine getting busy in that moment, you know? Because in that moment, as you're thinking of family coming to your house and trying to make preparations for all of that, getting everything cleaned right and uh, preparing meals and trying to make everything perfect to, to impress the people that don't even like us, you know? <laughs> And uh, sorry, I got to quit that mess. What am I doing this morning? All right. But uh, doing all these things, getting ready for all of this, I can imagine how busy some of these people were. I, mean, I can imagine, I can imagine them getting ready, making this right, making that right, preparing this meal, preparing that meal, having the husband go to this uh, market and that market, make sure we have all these things ready. And they just flat out got busy to even realize that they're missing out on the greatest gift known to humanity. I heard a quote. I'm not sure who, who, who was the initiator of that quote or, or giving credit to it, but uh, I did not come up with this, but I did hear, hear a quote one day. Someone said this. If God, uh, I'm sorry, not, if not God, that's terrible. If the devil <laughs> cannot make you a bad person, he'll make you a busy person. Because listen, sometimes we get so busy in our life that we get so busy with even good things, we miss out on the best of things. We allow the good things that we're busy with choke out the best of things. And a good illustration of that is found in Luke chapter 10. But it was there with Mary and Martha. You remember the story. But the Bible says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she come help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken Away from her. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Was it a good thing what Martha was doing by making preparations to receive Jesus and the disciples into her house? Was that a good thing to make preparations for that? Yes or no? Do like this. That's a good thing. Okay. All right. It's a good thing. It was a good thing that she, what she was doing, serving the Lord, serving the other disciples, uh, making, preparing food. Maybe she was preparing fried chicken, mashed potatoes, uh, mac and cheese, green beans. Maybe she even had access to those uh, Sister Schubert rolls that she gets out of the oven. You put a little honey cinnamon on top of those things. It'll change your life. I'm telling you. All right. But making all these preparations. I don't know what's wrong with this morning. You're going to forgive me. Okay. You really are. But making all these preparations. To take care of Jesus and the disciples. Man, she was cumbered about. She was so just busy doing all these good things. Good things. That even in the midst of her good things and business, she got so frustrated. And even questioned the Lord. Lord, do you not even care that I'm doing this all by myself and Mary ain't doing nothing? And then... She not only questioned the Lord, but then she demanded of the Lord, Lord, bid her, come help me. <laughs> Sounds like this lady got a little frustrated, don't you think? Sounds like it. But he made it be known, even in her frustration in the midst of that, what she was doing was good. He made it be known what she really needed to do is just simply sit a minute and enjoy that good thing, that needful part, as Jesus said, the simple presence of the Lord. You see, in the midst of her busyness, she just missed out in the simple presence of Jesus. And sometimes we can get so busy in our life, even around good things, even around this time of year, making preparations for this, making preparations for that, doing this for these people, doing that for those people. We just simply miss it. Sometimes we just need to quieten ourselves, quieten our spirits, and sit down. Just enjoy the presence of God for a moment. Open your Bible and enjoy the presence of God for a moment. Get upon your knees and just simply enjoy the presence of God for a moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss on Jesus because you're just so busy. Don't miss Him this Christmas season. So these folks here in Luke chapter 2, especially in verse number 7, which I believe could be very well could be family. Of Mary and Joseph, I, I think they missed out on something. They missed out on Christ, on Christ that Christmas season. They missed out because they weren't looking for Him. They missed out because they had no room for Him. They missed out because, well, they're just too busy. But I want to encourage all of us, including myself, don't miss Him. Don't miss Him this Christmas. Don't get so busy with the Christmas season that you miss the reason. Don't get so busy with Christmas that you miss Christ. Don't get so enamored with the gifts of giving gifts and receiving gifts that you miss out on the true gift of Jesus Christ. Don't miss Him. Rather, on purpose, make room for Him. Make room for Him in your life, in your home. Make room for Him in your family. Make room for Him in your heart. Make room for Him. Not just seasonally, but daily. Make room for Jesus on purpose. On purpose. Take time on purpose. Just sit at the feet of Christ and enjoy the presence of God. Don't miss Him. Don't miss Him this Christmas. Many did, and many have since then. But don't you be one of them. 
And so if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I'm telling you, you're missing it. You're missing out on that greatest gift you could ever receive, the gift of salvation. That unspeakable gift. It's amazing. So I want you to know that Jesus was born for you, that Jesus lived a perfect life for you, that Jesus gave, gave His life, shed His blood for you, was buried for you, and rose again the third day for you, to give you eternal life. If you don't know Him, please call upon Jesus to save you today. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Please, for you a son was given, and the Savior was born. Don't 